You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. The king is facing an unsure future. They're being attacked by enemies. What's going to come of us? Where does Zedekiah go to find the answer to that question? He goes into the prison where Jeremiah is being kept. And then Jeremiah pronounces exactly what it wasn't good news, by the way, either. But that was the very thing that gave Jeremiah his strength. What was that? He knew God, and he knew that he knew God. It's not fun to be criticized for your beliefs. It's even worse when taking a stand for what you believe gets you in trouble with your employer or the government. If they aren't liking what you're saying or doing, they can make your life uncomfortable or even take your life. This is why it matters when you stand up for God. This is why the stand that Joseph took, keeping his integrity when he was treated wrongly, matters. Pastor Mike's teaching will show how God honors you when you stand firm for God. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis, chapter 40, as he continues his message, Our Circumstances, God's Opportunities. I remember what you said, you Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Okay, so that's the dream that he dreamt. Now, Joseph goes on to interpret that dream. So let's pick up now in verses 12 and 13. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now, within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. If you put these two men alongside of one another, maybe something had taken, we don't really know what had taken place, and we don't know exactly how these men may have offended Pharaoh, the king, but it seems as if, you know, one or two of them had done something. Pharaoh didn't quite know who was responsible for whatever had taken place, so he throws both of them into prison. But I guess here, the cupbearer is exonerated, and so... That's exactly what Joseph is telling him here. But then we have the dream that the baker dreamt. 
And that's recorded first in verses 16 and 17. So let's read about his dream. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. Okay, so that was the dream that the baker dreamt. Now in verses 18 and 19, Joseph interprets the dream. And so Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days, and within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Wow. And listen, folks, both of Joseph's interpretations, in fact, came to pass. Because let's read on verses 20 through 22. Now, it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, even as Joseph had said, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Okay, now, before we go on, just a sidebar, sidebar here. Remember I had suggested in my opening statement that I could have given this message another title. And that other title could have been, What About Dreams? You know what? I think Christians have a habit of putting too much stock in the dreams that they dream, seeking to spiritualize them as if God was speaking to them in dreams. So just a sidebar here, okay? Uh, now, I want you to be open to this, okay? And maybe some of you subscribe to that belief. So what are we to think about dreams? Well, first of all, let me say, certainly God was in these dreams here, the dreams that the butler and the cupbearer Dream, no question about that, both in the giving of the dreams and Joseph in the interpretation of those dreams. So God was involved. God was involved in the dreams of this story here in chapter 40, going back to chapter 37, as I've already mentioned, the dreams that Joseph dreamt concerning his brothers and his, even his mother and father being subservient to Joseph, which in fact, came to pass as Joseph later on becomes the prime minister there in Egypt. Chapter 37, verses 7 and 9. And then later on in our studies, as we move into chapter 41, we're going to discover how that Pharaoh himself dreamt a dream. And again, his dream had to do with seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine, and then Joseph's counsel to Pharaoh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but God was in that dream as well. But this does not mean that God always speaks to us in dreams, or even that he does so at all in our present day. In fact, dreams have very little prominence in the scriptures. In fact, there's only a couple of places in the scriptures depicting dreams at all. 
here in the book of Genesis, and then later on in the book of Daniel. In fact, in the New Testament, there's nothing said about dreams at all. It's rather visions. Like, for example, Peter in the book of Acts. Remember the vision that God had given to Peter about this great sheet that had come down from heaven with all of these unclean animals. God was about to do a new thing, grafting in the Gentiles. And remember the conclusion that Peter had come to, that which God has called clean, let no man refer to or say that it is unclean. But it all had to do with the grafting in of the Gentiles, you see. And it was a vision that was given to Peter. And then, of course, one of the greatest visions in the New Testament is probably the book of Revelation itself. Almost all of it in its entirety, given to John the beloved apostle, the same writer of the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John. The whole book is really, a, if you think about it, a, a vision that was given to him. And also, throw this into the mix, I want you to remember that the Scriptures at this time the full canon of scriptures had not yet been collected. And so what conclusion should we come to? Well, I think that it would be wise for us to conclude that today's dreams are not revelations that come from God, though they may be accurate reflections of our subconscious state. But the truth of the matter is, I think, for the most part, they're born out of our fears, our anxieties, and our preoccupations. So we need to be very careful about this. And I think, again, as I mentioned before, there are, within certain Christian circles, too much stock is placed upon the dreams that Christians dream. And I'm not saying that God can't speak to us through dreams, but it would be very unusual, and we don't have any cases in point recorded for us in the New Testament. Well, anyway, thank you for allowing me to get that off of my chest. Anyway, the emphasis of this chapter is on the interpretation of these dreams by Joseph. And in that, there are a couple of final lessons here that I want to draw your attention to. The first of which is, I want you to notice, let's go back to chapter 40 now, in verse 8, the latter part of verse 8, I want you to notice how Joseph replies directly and boldly even before the dreams had been told him. Remember, he comes into the room where these two men are. It seems as if they're extremely troubled, kind of frazzled. He sees it on their faces, and he begins to question them, what's wrong? And then they go on to tell him about these dreams. Before they even have an opportunity to tell him what the dreams were, notice the way that Joseph responds. It's recorded first in the latter part of verse 8. He says, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Now, what do we take away from this? Well, how confident is Joseph? You see, his confidence was in God. Joseph knew God, and he knew that he knew God. Thus, he fully expected God to make his counsels known to interpret these dreams. Okay, so how does this relate to you and to me? And where am I going with all of this? What's the point? Well, it's this. How powerful is the individual who knows God and knows that he knows God? Therein lies our strength. Therein lies our confidence. We can face anything that life throws at us. When we know that God's hand is upon our lives, 
He's blessed us with his favor. We can face anything that life throws at us. And as a result, Joseph was powerful even while he was in prison. Think about that. This is what made Jeremiah powerful in Israel even while he was in prison. And it's why King Zedekiah sought him out. It's recorded for us in Jeremiah chapter 21. If you have an opportunity sometime during the week, you might want to read that chapter in the book of Jeremiah. The king is facing an unsure future. They're being attacked by enemies. What's going to come of us? Where does Zedekiah go to find the answer to that question? He goes into the prison where Jeremiah is being kept. And then Jeremiah pronounces exactly what it wasn't good news, by the way, either. But that was the very thing that gave Jeremiah his strength. What was that? He knew God, and he knew that he knew God. But isn't that true of all of the characters in the Bible, Old and New Testament alike? Wasn't that the secret to Samson's power and success? Even at the end of his life, in the book of Judges, in chapter 16, he cries out after they had plucked out his eyes. He had been reduced to a circus animal, if you will. And he cries out to God, and he says, Remember me, strengthen me one last time, that I may avenge myself. He had that confidence and assurance that God would respond to his cry, you see. And then remember, during the great festivities that were going on as they worshipped their gods, the gods of the Philistines. And remember, the little boy, they were making a spectacle out of Samson, and he led them towards the pillars of this Colosseum. And the strength came back into Samson, and he threw the pillars back, and the entire arena fell in, and thousands of Philistines were killed in that one moment. You see, it was that knowledge of God and what was right that made John the Baptist strong. I mean, Herod was the king at that particular time, and yet he feared John. He feared to let him live. He feared to kill him. What was John's secret? He knew God, and he knew that he knew God. How about Paul? Knowing the true gospel made him strong. What was the thing that enabled Paul, I mean, think about it, to face all of the problems, difficulties, to go into one town, one city, meet with all kinds of persecution, thrown into prison, cat nine tails laid on his back, shipwrecked, just follow this guy's life, his ministry. Who would want that kind of a ministry, by the way? But what was the very thing that enabled him, after going through all of what he went through, to pick himself up, brush himself off, and go on to the next town and do it all over again? It was because Paul knew God, and he knew that he knew God. Listen, all Christians must be like these men that I've just Reference. They're no different from us. We hold the truth in knowing Christ, and therefore that's our strength and that's our confidence. You might say we're bulletproof. The truth of the matter is nothing can touch us unless God allows something to touch us. Now, there's one other thing about these interpretations that I want to draw to your attention. Notice the first interpretation was good news. The butler was going to be restored. But how hard it must have been for Joseph to deliver the second interpretation, which was bad news. 
So it took great courage on Joseph's part to share the full counsel of God with one who had become a friend. But Joseph is not afraid. Okay, so how does this relate to you? How does this relate to me? Well, let me ask you a question. How many of us are willing to preach the cupbearer's sermon? It's all good news. God loves you. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. You know, you're okay. I'm okay. Kind of a thing. God wants to bless you. You know, all of that stuff. But are unwilling to preach the baker's one. What am I talking about? Well, how many of us are afraid to call sin, sin? Or warn people because of their sin? Especially our friends or people who are close to The best thing that you can do for someone that you really care about, someone that you really love, is cry out against their sin. Really. Bring them to the place where they're questioning their sin. To tell people that they are under the curse of sin and will be eternally judged in hell unless they come to Christ. It's not an easy occupation. But if you really love someone, you'll tell them. Listen, we must preach and share all of what God reveals to us and through us. The full counsel of God's word. Now, there's one last thing that I want to draw your attention to, and this, this is some practical, make sense Christianity. I want you to notice when Joseph interprets the cupbearer's dream, he makes a certain appeal. And it's recorded first in verses 14 and 15. And we didn't read this, but let's go back to chapter 40. Verses 14 and 15, one last lesson here. He says, but remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me, make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into this dungeon. Okay, so here's the question. Was he wrong in making this appeal? I mean, some people actually believe, hey, you know, whatever you're facing in life's circumstances, in your life's experience, just leave it with God. Don't say anything about it. Don't complain about it. Just leave it with God. And certainly don't make your case to an unbeliever. But wasn't that exactly what Joseph was doing here? Well, listen, I am absolutely sure that Joseph, in fact, did make his case, probably more than once before God. God, I'm innocent. I'm a victim. They, she lied. I never raped her. I, I, because I'm innocent and been faithful to you, I find myself in this place. I'm sure he made his appeal over and over and over again to God. He pleaded his case before God. But let me tell you this. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing whatever is possible to avoid difficulty and improve your condition. What are you, a martyr? What, do you got a martyr's complex? Hey, make it easy on yourself. If he had access, that is Joseph, to an Egyptian court to appeal his injustices, his case, why not? I'll give you another example of this. How about Paul? When Paul was being held as a political prisoner and there was no end in sight, what did he do? He made his appeal to Caesar in Rome, which was his right as a Roman citizen. He had dual citizenship. He was a Jew, but he was also from Caesarea, remember? 
So he held dual citizenship. He was also a Roman citizen. So it was in his right for any injustice, for any reason whereby he was going to go through the judicial system, if he didn't feel as if he was getting a satisfied result, he could make his appeal to a higher court. Even as in the United States of America, we can make our appeal to a higher court. And thus, he's sent off to Rome to stand before Caesar. So Paul took advantage of his right as a Roman citizen because he was getting the political runaround. He was being held unfairly. But you know what? Later on, with Joseph, we'll discover Joseph's help didn't come, even though he was asking here, notice the cupbearer, to remember him when he was restored to his position before the king. But later on, we'll discover Joseph's help and deliverance didn't actually come from this cupbearer at all, but rather came from God. In fact, notice the last verse of chapter 40. What does it say there? It says, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This may be what is going on in your life right now. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but maybe you're trying to extricate yourself from some difficulty. And this is just between you and God. And you're using every means at your disposal, but yet you've been coming up empty to no avail. Well, listen, deliverance may have to come directly from God. Maybe you've exhausted every resource available to you, and now the only place that you can turn to is God himself, which you should have turned to in the first place, made it a lot easier on yourself. But nevertheless, the bottom line here, deliverance may have to come directly from God. Now, why is that? Well, I don't really know, but let me offer some possible explanation. It could be so that you come to this new sense of his presence within your life, a new awe, a new delight. The end may be worth many years of suffering, in fact, if, in fact, you come to that place of knowing him in a more precious kind of a personal kind of a way. But listen, let me tell you this, and I'll end with this. It's never going to happen unless you first invited Christ to come in and be the Lord and Savior of your life. Remember what this message is all about. Our circumstances, God's opportunities. But those circumstances are designed by God in having a relationship with Him. But if you don't have a relationship with Him, there's no rhyme or reason to the circumstances that are going on in your life. There's no hope of those things working together for your good, you see. In fact, those things can actually wipe you out. <laughs> so I would suggest that you run to Him as fast as you can. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my You've been listening to Pastor Mike Fenizio here on In My Father's House. He is working his way through the book of Genesis. If you were blessed by today's message and want to pass along the blessing, you can find a link to give to the ministry on our website, harvestnyc.org. We have so much available to you there, including many audio messages and links to streamed messages. 
We stream every Sunday and Thursday service. Once again, that's harvestnyc.org. Another way to pass along the blessing is to share the messages with someone else. Maybe God put someone on your heart today as you listened. You can send them the links as well. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. We're easy to find, with access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. But if you're from another part of the country or world, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. There is nothing more beautiful than the global body of Christ. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to our podcast for daily doses of the word. Just go to Spotify and search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. And then just click follow. Well, we have filled our time for today. Come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my Father's house with you. 